from the straw-covered studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another thrill-packed episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Can you plant garlic directly into a straw bale? Can you use bales of straw to take up space in the bottom of a garden box? On today's show, we'll reveal why straw bales should be used to make scarecrows and outdoor seats instead of reducing yields in your garden. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy shredding straw. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ingeniously itinerant impulsifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you making hay while the sun shines right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're going to go back to the days when we were reviewing books and giving books away. We haven't forgotten about all the people who sent in postcards to try to get a book. We're not gonna be reviewing them right now. I will do a special one in time for Christmas, but now I just wanna get rid of some of these books. So I am happy to announce that Sarah Penny in Manaka, Manala, PA 15061, you know who you are, um, is going to receive a copy of the all new Square Foot Gardening book, second edition. Um, and we have to show you her postcard. Let me read the back. The Canary Girls. The brave women on the front of this postcard risked their lives to produce munitions for the war. Their unique name was born after the toxic chemicals from the TNT they handled turned their skin yellow. How's that for an origin story? So thanks for sending, don't send us any more cards, but we're gonna be giving away a book a week till we go through some of the cards we've gotten already. I'll tell you when it's time for a new episode of the book contest. All right, well, we're supposed to be doing a show here. So it must be time for me to say 833-727-9588, Stan. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, good to be here. It's uh, good to have you here, Stan. Where Where are you, man? I'm in Decatur, Georgia. I didn't think that was a New York accent I was hearing. Well, that's deep south. I'm from Louisiana originally. Born in Alexandria, lived in Lafayette, as the natives say, for about 10 years. Oh, Lafayette. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a hot place. Yeah. Now, did you have all those traditions around Mardi Gras with the Indians and the, the second line and everything like that? Uh, they had a Mardi Gras in Lafayette. Of course, the big one is in New Orleans, sure. of course. Uh, Mardi Gras is a little bit cold, uh, but uh, Jazz Festival later in New Orleans is uh, uh, more enjoyable uh, because of the weather. Yes, my good friend Dave Heller who works at WHYY in Philadelphia, uh, goes to that festival every year. He absolutely loves it. All right, so listen, what can we do for you about gardening? 
Well, we uh, just put in some raised beds. Very good. And we have uh, lots of squirrels and birds and others who I'm sure would enjoy eating our crop of mustard greens. Um, so we went looking for a low-cost pesticide-free way to keep them out, and we bought a, a light net to put over over the mustard greens. Right. And a chipmunk got caught in it, and then our dogs got the chipmunk. Oh, goodness. Yeah. One of the problems, um, I have friends who grow blueberries. They have a whole field of them, and the birds drive them crazy. Um, and one of, the sad, one of the sad things is when I'm out picking there, it's not unusual to have to release a bird or to find a butterfly who got tangled up in that stuff. Now, yep. uh, you yep. got... You got raised beds, and you're growing stuff that's kind of low to the ground. That's correct. Uh-huh. Okay, and evil squirrels will do yes. all kinds of damage. But you say the birds are pulling up your greens too? Nothing has gotten out at them yet. We're trying to get out ahead of them, mm-hmm. and we tried the net, and we weren't happy with that. And we're wondering if there's uh, so on on the internet, cayenne pepper and red pepper flakes were recommended. And we're wondering if you could tell us if, if that, that's a, the, the pepper is effective, and if it is, how much we should apply. If it is effective, but that's mostly for bird feeders or things like spring bulbs, where the squirrel actually has to dig in the soil. Then they get it on their paws and in their eyes and everything. But to protect something like, uh, like greens, you know, they'll be standing in it, but I don't think it's going to have much of an effect on them. Uh, the nice right. thing is the more the better. I don't know if you have Asian grocery stores near you, but um, if you can find one, you can buy a, a bag of hot peppers, the so- dried hot peppers the size of a pillow. Grind those up, and you could just you could use it to mulch your bed. I mean, the worst that could happen is some of the seeds might be viable and you'd start growing hot peppers too. <laughs> okay. The, the thing that comes right. to mind first for me is a motion activated sprinkler. Now okay. you you have a long season of non-freezing weather. So this would be good for you 11 maybe even 12 months out of the year. Um, but you hook it up to your garden hose, you put some batteries in the head. And there's an electronic device in that head that senses motion. So as soon as something comes into the garden, it activates the sprinkler, and the sprinkler, which has an impact sprinkler on top, just like a normal impact sprinkler, um, shoots several cups of cold water at the intruders. Um, okay. it's, it's not only effective, but it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Any anytime you can make a wet squirrel squirry away, that's that's a good day, man. I hear you. I there's hear a you. there's a couple of different um, brands out there. Better independent garden centers may sell them at retail, but of course you can always buy them online as well. And the brand name Orbit, like Orbit around the Moon or you know, the Earth mm-hmm. or something like that, um, yep. they're very effective and they're much more powerful than the older ones that I have. I may be moving up to orbits uh, in my garden because the deer are getting frisky. Okay. Now your All other right. alternative, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a guy on the show talking about uh, mosquito prevention and mm-hmm. he, he's, he was just a great guest, Colin Purrington. I want to have him back on again. 
but he also showed me, and I think we showed on the air, I know it's on his website, that he built raised beds for himself, but then he created an outdoor room. He got regular screening and some, and some boards, and he made it a screened porch with a screen top and gave himself a little door, and that's it, baby. It, everybody goes home. Squirrels can't get in. Birds can't get in. Um, rabbits can't get in. It's, uh, it's a little bit of work, but then it's once and done. And mm -hmm. if, if, you, if you look him up online, it's Colin 1L and Parrington. There are pictures of his outdoor screened porch raised bed, and it looks beautiful. And again, you'd never have to buy another battery or do anything. Just make sure the squirrels don't start eating it. That sounds like a good idea. And I've seen that around here, too. People have put those uh, cages around their raised beds. Um, uh, can I give you advice on mosquitoes real quick? Sure. Man, they were vicious here. We're, mm -hmm. we're backed up to this wooded area that used to be a containment pond. Oh. It had a containment pond, and man, the mosquitoes are fierce. Yes. We bought a thermocell. We read about it online, and uh, we began using that, and we found that thermocell to be very effective and keeping them away from you. I've heard the name, and I've had one to test. Remind me of what it does. Well, you, uh, let's see. It oh, has is, a liquid in it, and you turn and you it on, and it heats it up, it I heats assume. It up. Yeah. And it, it just puts out, it covers the area around you, maybe to 10, 15 feet, and the mosquitoes stay away. Okay. I'm not sure that that's not... Um, a chemical insecticide in there, and you don't want to be inhaling um, mm -hmm. it on long periods of time if it is, um, I would definitely get some BTI. You've seen the BTI donuts for sale in hardware stores and stuff, Yeah, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. totally, totally natural product. <clears throat> Toss one or two of those donuts into your retention pond, and no mosquitoes uh -huh. can breed there for a month. Okay. Well, um, uh this area is fenced in, though. It's got like a 12-foot fence around it. What's the matter? You can't toss over the fence? Well, I'm, I'm uh, 72 years old, but I did lock myself in my own backyard just yesterday. It has a six-foot fence, <laughs> and I managed to get over that. <laughs> I love I love locking myself out of the house. It's so humiliating. Yeah, but I you know, you can get somebody else to toss it in for you if you can't. Maybe buy a slingshot. You know, I mean, <laughs> brings to mind all these dangerous childhood toys. Yeah, did you ever shoot cherry bombs in a slingshot? I would never admit to it, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, we're in enough trouble as it is. Stan the man. Damn. Good talking to you, Mike. Yeah, down in the south, down in Decatur. You take care, sir. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will once again host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit families facing homelessness and answer your garden questions on the spot. That all happens on Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia's fabulous Chestnut Hill section. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to say bad things about straw bales and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Later on in the show, what is it with you people in straw bales? Do you follow every trend that's out there? Don't you remember the horror, the terror, the disappointment of upside down tomato planters? Well, we'll talk bad things about straw bales later in the show. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Mia, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Mia. Where are you? I'm in Worcester, Massachusetts. Very good. Very good. What can we do you for? So I am a garden coordinator for a school garden. I have a few school gardens, but this one in particular is having some trouble. It's a 10-foot diameter concrete circle with a flagpole in the middle, it's on a landing in front of the school at the intersection of two concrete staircases. Mm-hmm. I've had the garden for about five years, and I have some perennials in there, um, some vinca vine from when it used to be a floral garden. There's uh, some herbs, a sage plant, and some chives that are going like gangbusters, and some chrysanthemums that I popped in there one fall that just keep coming back. But everything new that I planted this year and last year has died, and I'm not even getting many weeds. And it's making me think that maybe there's herbicides in there, and I noticed that the the staff might be spraying. I've never seen them spray, but I'm noticing there's no weeds in the concrete cracks. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking they might be spraying. I did contact the principal, but I haven't heard back yet. And if that's the case, like, do you think it could be the herbicide? And if it is, do I have to pull all the soil out, or is there kind of shelf life on this thing that I could still keep going? That's an excellent question. To some degree, it depends on the herbicide. Um, Some of the more persistent herbicides will make that soil very hostile to plants for two, maybe three years. So uh, knowledge is everything here. 
now is the maintenance like the grass cutting and the pruning and the spraying is that all done by in-house people who work for the school yes excellent so all you got to do is go to their shed honey go to where they keep their stuff and it'll be right there and okay. and then you'll know what you're dealing with and you can either call me back or check for the persistence um and so how many years has this garden, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, flourished? It flourished for four years that I had it. This is the first year. And, you know, I grew beans and the beans wouldn't grow. I'm not even getting weeds. Uh, beans and peas are the canary in the coal mine when it comes to testing for herbicides. If you can't afford the expensive test, you plant some peas and beans. And if they come up looking awful or they don't germinate at all, that means you've got one of the more serious persistent pesticides in there. Um, uh, and, of course, since this is the first time, you never thought to put a no-spray sign in there or anything. No, and I've never had this problem before. I, I did offer, I've reached out to the school, and I've offered to do the weeding on that landing right. myself so mm -hmm. that they don't have to spray anymore. Right. And, uh, well, like I said, you got to go to the shed. Um, okay. And that, that will have the murder weapon in it. You'll see exactly what they have. And then you can look that up online. Um, there's various organizations that chart the dangers, the specific dangers of different uh, herbicides. So you can say, you can go to the, to the school board or whoever, and you can say they're spraying this, it is a known cancer causer. Um, it causes a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in males and male dogs. It does this, it does that. And there's really no reason. I mean, if there are weeds in the cracks around this concrete uh, planting area, they could use a flame weeder. Most guys would kill to have a flame weeder. And, and there's no spraying of anything around, and you don't bend over and it actually makes things look better because when a plant is killed by an herbicide, it's not a disintegration ray. It, you know, then the dead plant lays there looking like the dog's breakfast. But when you flame weed, if you linger around for a while, there ain't nothing left. So that would greatly appeal to them. In terms of cleaning the soil, um, how much soil do you think this thing holds? I got like a Maybe I haul in about four or five gallon buckets every year and do a top dressing of two inches. Okay. Um, of what? So if it's only 18 inches deep of um, municipal compost. Okay. Um, okay. Now, here's another possibility, says the son of a former homicide detective. Um, did you use this specific compost in your home garden or any other place? Yes, everywhere. And what were the results? Everything's great. It, it's a good compost. They test it. I'm part of a regional environmental network, mm -hmm. and they do the testing and provide it to our school gardens. Okay, okay. Um, very good. You know, um, you might want to dig up a sample of your soil and, and ask if they'll test it for you. But, That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you guys had heavy rains this year. Um, but again, if the... if plants in other areas did fine, there's no reason to believe that it, there is drainage in this thing, right? 
there's very little drainage. Um, it's almost mm. like a cement bowl. And uh, am I correct in that you had a record amount of rain this year? We did. Yeah. But it gets full sun, so it dries very fast. I once couldn't get the no, um, no, bit no. to turn off, and it overflowed, and it dried up within a day. Uh, well, no, it didn't. What dried up was it evaporated. The, no, what dried up was no. the surface of the soil. What counts okay. is whether there's standing water in the bottom of the container where the roots are. So okay. you can even do CSI on that. Uh, pick uh, pick one of the plants that looks awful, but it's there, and pull it up and get all the roots out and examine the roots. If they're brown or black or mushy, then it's lack of drainage. And you know that can probably be solved. There's people who can drill little holes in the side, um, you know, close to the uh, close to the walkway next to it. That wouldn't that okay. wouldn't be difficult at all. But those are your two options: either the plants drowned, overwatering kills more plants than almost anything else when humans are involved, and now you know to check for the specific herbicide. And if it's in the shed, you know, read up on it and make sure the board knows. They probably won't want it being used on any part of the grounds afterwards. And of course, you know, next season. Um, either install those drain holes or put up a no spray sign and or do both what do you do yeah. what do you do with this thing over the winter it dies back yeah because your your school year does not equal your school garden I mean this garden's growing while the kids aren't there right that's right I maintain it all summer yeah um, it would be better for a school garden if you were to rip everything out and plant spring bulbs uh, where you are right around Halloween. And then, then when the, uh, you know, and for instance, the kids are there, they can help you plant the bulbs. Just make, mm -hmm. make sure they wear gloves. Um, and then the following spring, long before school is over, they'll see those spring bulbs. That's a school mm -hmm. garden. That's how kids can learn about gardening and see it in action. And I have strawberries there that are just, they're June bearing and they're just perfect. They poke out right at the beginning of June, well before they died. Okay. And then they've got berries on them before school's out. Right, but with the, with the spring bulbs, they could see the whole process. They could mm -hmm. be involved in the planting. And then if, you know, if you buy enough of them, sometimes you go to a garden center, they got leftovers, you know, they'll essentially give you a bag of like 500 daffodils or something. So, okay. you know, you could have a lottery or something, but once the flower is up, you, uh, kids could cut them and take them home. That's uh, a good idea. It, and it really does go with the school year. The other thing I would recommend is pansies. You could put pansies in there right now, again, provided the soil's not tainted or anything like that. And they would flower, you know, if you get a mild winter, they'd be flowering until the end of June when they start to burn up. They can't take heat, but they can take pretty intense cold. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes, and pansy flowers are edible. Now, you're going to buy... Are? Yes, oh, and they're the only known source of, food source of rutin, which um, helps... Uh, collapse, so to speak, varicose veins and spider veins. It reduces the um, the view of them. 
um, by making your capillaries uh, the right size. So, yeah, and, but if you buy a flat of pansies, don't eat the first run because they were probably sprayed. But after okay. that, they are totally edible, and you could have a class on edible flowers. There's more of them than you think. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. All right. So good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Take Thanks care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Well, the weather's cooling down, but gardening is heating up. There's lots to plant and harvest. It's time for that big second season of salad greens and cold weather crops. And we'll tell you how to get it all done correctly and organically. Just give us a call at 833-727-9588. Everado, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. How are you doing good today, good sir? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Not sure how good sir I am, but I'm ducky. And um, how are you? Pretty good. Just enjoying this beautiful weather here in Oklahoma City. Uh, uh, I love I love Oklahoma City. The listeners there are the best. You guys have that fabulous botanic garden right in the center of downtown. It's got a lot lot going for it. So what's up with you? What can we do you for? Well, I got these peach trees in the back. Uh, they usually get some worms in them when they start to bear fruit mm-hmm. and kind of rot away. I was just kind of hoping to see maybe when a good season would be to, like, trim them back or see what I could do to possibly feed them to help deter pests away. And, yeah, just uh, kind of knowing what kind of good season of that would be to hit it. Peach trees are the hardest thing to grow, whether you're a professional, an amateur, whether you're organic or conventional. Um, peaches oh. are prone to diseases, it's like the biggest soft fruit, right? So it's easy for insects to get inside there, and it's easy for the trees to get overcrowded because they are so vigorous when they grow. Now, uh, did you plant these trees or inherit them? Uh, I inherited them. Okay, how long have you been on the property? Uh, six to eight months. Oh, okay, so you're, you're just getting to learn this place. Yes. Okay, good. Um, so pruning is done in the spring after flowering. So, you know, because you know how beautiful the, the peach flowers are. Mm-hmm. So you want to let them give you a good show. And then uh, you can call your local county extension office and get a good guide on how to prune. Um, but basically you're just trying uh, to cut off the tallest straight up branches that make it hard to get at the fruit if there is any on them and open up the center try to get more airflow in there Um, it's very important too that you clean up the orchard floor keep a clean floor out there so that means raking away all of the uh, all of the drops so to speak all of the peaches that hit the ground 
and trash those. Don't compost them because this is insects, not disease. Um, right. So let me think. So uh, and so you don't know if they've been pruned, right? Are are they really crowded? You, you know, I was going to ask you that just uh, here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, they got about three feet apart, I want to say. Oh, you Maybe mean a little bit. The, the plants are that close to each other. Yeah, they're kind of close to each other. Oh, man. And I also got a fence maybe a foot or so behind it. Okay. So what you, and I was, what you, oh, you want to do is prune where the two trees meet. Increase the distance between the edges of the branches. Get some airflow going in there. And if the branches are touching the fence, prune back there as well to reduce that problem. Now, but you did, have you seen disease? Have you seen brown rot or black rot or anything like that? Um, to be honest with you, I saw them bloom really beautifully. Right. I took a bunch of pictures of the flowers. Right. Um, then when I noticed the, the peaches, mm -hmm. I mean, as soon as I try to get one and open it up, I see some worms in them. Yeah. I honestly can't remember the exactly how the worms looked, but it just wasn't very appetizing. Right. So I just kind of dropped it and was like, mm. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, they're a form of caterpillar or um, the larva of a fruit fly, something like that. So here's what you do, okay? So as soon as the flowers start to fade, you prune them in the spring. Try to improve the airflow around the plants. Then rake away all your prunings and anything that was underneath the trees. Are they mulched? Uh, no, no, it's just regular grass. And is the grass treated? Uh, no. Okay, so rake away everything you can underneath the trees, and then I want to, you to put down an inch or two of good high-quality compost as a mulch around the trees to give them nutrients. Then, if you want to get insect-free fruit, your best bet is a product called Surround. S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D. It's a clay spray. It's just a micronized form of clay that you put into uh, a sprayer with water and you mm -hmm. spray your trees with it right after flowering. And it flocks the trees. It gives them a Christmassy kind of appearance. Um, it doesn't interfere with photosynthesis, but insects don't like it. So they will stay away from your, uh, from your fruits. And you, you need to renew the sprays after rain, but you guys don't get that much rain. So no. um, keep the trees well watered during dry times, compost, and check out the clay spray surround. If you do that, you'll, you'll start getting some good peaches. Awesome. All right? Appreciate it. All right, good luck, man. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, thank you very much, sir. I hope you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I'm going to take another little break and remind everyone that I will once again be honored to host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit families facing homelessness and be there to answer your garden questions all night long. It's on Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia. 
But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to say bad things about straw bales and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and mere minutes from now, we will say bad things about straw bales. In the meantime, we're not going to say anything bad to our fabulous callers at 833-727-9588. Sue, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Sue. Are you standing next to Niagara Falls? I hear a whooshing sound. No, I'm not. I'm driving in a truck. Hands off. Okay, right, right. Uh, the Bluetooth or whatever it is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. You don't have to worry about getting arrested, but you can call your friends and see what's for dinner. Um, are you a pro? A pro. Truck driver. What do you mean? Oh, no, no, no. I'm absolutely not. I'm driving my own little personal truck. Okay, very good. And where does Sue's truck get parked? Where are you from? I'm from Maysville, Oklahoma, which is about um, 45 minutes south of Oklahoma City. Okay. Do you get us on broadcast radio that far away? Yes, I sure do. Oh, great. I, we love the Oklahoma City community. They, uh, they, <laughs> they have been very kind to the show. All right. What can we do for you? Okay. I live on a small farm. And initially, when we set up our little homestead, we had a horrible problem with ticks. And so I did some research, and I realized that, you know, environmental modification was the way to to tackle it. So what I did to try to tackle the tick population was environmental modifications, such as cutting the grass and keeping the weeds low, getting free-range chickens and uh, guinea hens, and using diatomaceous earth. But and I got a very good handle on that problem. But now we have this influx of something called seed ticks, which I I don't know where they're coming from or why I'm having a problem with them. They're little itty bitty, like um, uh, like the size of a pinhead mm-hmm. bug parasite, and they're very very um, numerous. Do you have any idea why I would be having those? Well, first of all, you did a great job with the guinea hens. Uh, Believe it or not, it was Christy Brinkley who proved that uh, guinea hens were a highly effective method of tick control. She got a flock for her property, which had a lot of tick problems, and knocked yes. the numbers down 95%. It was... Um, Same here. Yeah. Very effective. They're fabulous. Now, you're using the term seed, S-E-E-D, ticks. Um, 
like S. Yes. Like in yes. Yes. Um, so do, is this referring to the size of a small seed? Um, a yes. A time of year when they appear. Um, is this a s different species of tick, or is it just the smallest larval form? I'm not sure, sir. Um, okay. Because this is the first time I've had this problem, and they're okay. so minute that it's yes. hard to see anything other than a little brown speck. Yes, right. So the, the, the tick goes through many different larval stages or instars or whatever you call it for arachnids. Uh, but the very smallest ticks, which can grow up to be dog ticks, um, okay. are very tiny. These are the most dangerous because it is easy to mistake them for a blackhead or a mosquito bite you scratched. Um, but they are the most dangerous. They're also the most difficult to remove because they're so right. small. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, but you got to do it. Um, and, you know, if you can't get it out, don't be ashamed to go to your doctor or a doc in the box, you know, one of those emergency care centers and get it done properly because you don't want to leave the mouth parts in okay. the body. Okay, so there are two things that you can do, um, one of which will assure that you never get bitten again. How's that? Okay. Okay. You want to buy permethrin-treated clothing. Uh, permethrin okay. is an arachnicide. It is very deadly to ticks. Essentially harmless to humans, especially because we're not spraying it on ourselves. We're not lathering it on ourselves. It's embedded in our clothing. When the military okay. sends uh, troops into tick-infested areas, they don't give them DEET. They give them permethrin-treated uniforms. The tick, oh, okay. the tick, if it touches your shirt or your pants or your socks, is, is killed almost instantly. Um, you can do this with your own clothing. You go to a hunting and fishing store and you look for a permethrin clothing spray. It'll just be like one-tenth of one percent. And you take your clothes outside, put them on hangers, are you getting pulled over? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. An ambulance passed by. Okay. Um, <laughs> at, at any rate, you can do this yourself, uh, but I prefer to go to a company like Insect Shield. They're the ones that okay. I first found, and they got started making these uniforms for the military. They sell, okay. they sell pants, socks, shirts, hats, and these um, articles of clothing are guaranteed to keep the repellency for 50 to 100 washings. Wow. And because I only wear these clothes outside when I'm in the garden, I try to never wash the pants. I only wash those like twice a year. Okay. And literally, you don't even have to do a tick inspection if you're wearing these clothes. There's, okay, what about for treating the ground? Well, you, you don't, first of all, you would never treat a lawn because they're not on a the lawn. They're just in the wet, bushy areas. Okay. And the best way to do that is indirectly. There is a product called Tick Tubes, T-U-B-E-S. And Tick Tubes are little cardboard tubes filled with cotton balls that have been soaked in a stronger solution of permethrin. 
and you just okay. sc you scatter these where the brush starts. About every six foot, you drop down one of these cardboard tubes. So they lay there. Mice come by. Mice love cotton. They'll take it back to their nest, and they'll line their nest with this permethrin-treated cotton, which will kill all of the ticks on the mice. Uh, here, in here in Pennsylvania, where we have the highest rate of Lyme disease of any state in the nation, a lot of people call the, the problem tick a deer tick. But many deer ticks have never seen a deer, but they must spend part of their life on the white-footed field mouse. So wow. the interesting thing here is you're not hurting the mice. Matter of fact, you're, yeah. make, you're making them healthier because you're killing the ticks on them. Um, but it is the larval stage that feeds on the mice. So this is highly effective and works brilliantly. I use tick tubes on my property. I'm totally against the use of pesticides, but this is what I call I am too. Uh, this is what I call a totally common sense pesticide because you're not spraying it. It doesn't get into the water, doesn't get into the air. It just gets taken um, to make mice a happier, safer environment. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Yeah, yes, I would. I, I don't. Much. Yeah, I don't go out and garden or walk in the woods without my tick pants and socks on. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your input and your expertise. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling straw bales, the trend that will not die. Submitted for your approval. Several years back, a new quote trend appeared in the gardening world. Now, garden writers who long for new material every week love these trends. To me, they are about as useful as a tick bite. Remember the upside-down tomato planters? Remember bag gardening, where you just slid open a bag of topsoil and plunked your plants into it? That short-lived trend had the rare distinction of being less classy than planting in an old toilet bowl. Now, like the American originator of the very concept of organic gardening, J.I. Rodale, I eschew trends and instead continually hammer away at the basics like building raised beds, shunning pesticides, shredding fall leaves, and improving your soil. My style is kind of like a sign I once saw in a retro-themed thrift shop that said, new this week, nothing! But this trend that we're going to speak of keeps rising from the grave and shambling onto people's landscapes, no matter how many stakes I drive into its empty heart. I'm too cheap to try silver, so let's go to the old mailbag and find some fresh meat for your curmudgeon of gardening to chew on. Matt, in quote, suburban Washington, D.C., actually Chevy Chase, Maryland, writes, I have some straw bales in my driveway that housed tomatoes over the summer. They're decomposing a bit, but still have their shape. Can I plant my garlic into these bales? On one level, straw might be a great growing medium for garlic, but I worry about freezing. When the temperatures drop and we get a polar vortex or something, will the garlic survive? No, it will not survive, Matt. And then its spirits will return every Christmas Eve to taunt you and leave behind zucchinis the size of a 10-year-old child. Garlic is a root crop. Like spring bulbs, garlic needs to be underground, surrounded by loose, light soil. 
While your straw is admittedly loose and light, it's nowhere near solid enough to even keep the poor cloves in place. And yeah, once you get a couple of nights in the low 30s, those cloves will die a horrifying death, thanks to their being deprived of the insulation provided when they are buried in soil. Remember, soil is what we used to plant in. <clears throat> Matt continues, Relatedly, I just purchased a six-foot-long, 18-inch high and 16-inch wide galvanized steel open-bottom raised bed and I'm going to place along one of the sunny side walls of my driveway. Would it make sense to fill it with soil compost in the straw bales and plant the garlic in there for the winter? Would that insulate the garlic? Yes, Matt, it would insulate the garlic. The pure carbon content of that straw, however, would suck up all the available nitrogen, the primary food for root crops, and thus deliver to you something the final size of onion grass next summer. This is why we always warn people not to till shredded leaves or wood mulch into their beds. These kind of dry brown materials will take years to decompose underground, and they'll be sucking the nitrogen out of the bed the whole time. I do, however, like your steel raised bed idea. Although technically above ground, it sounds large enough to insulate the cloves, especially with the added benefit of being located right up against a wall. Fill it with potting soil, compost, topsoil, and some perlite, and plant your garlic cloves closer to the center than the outside edges of the bed, and you should be fine. What about your straw bales? Make a scarecrow out of them and then feel free to rip it apart and use the straw to mulch the bed. That means on top, not inside. We move on to Ben in Boise, who writes, will straw bales left in the bottoms of garden boxes before dirt is added to the boxes go moldy over the winter? I just had some garden boxes installed, and the guy that did it put straw bales in them so that we wouldn't have to add so much dirt. But now that it's getting cold, I'm wondering if the straw is going to get moldy over the winter and if I should wait for warmer weather to add the dirt. Well, Ben, when raised beds or containers are hugely ginormous, say they're two or three feet tall, it can be acceptable to add some type of material to the bottom so you don't have to fill it with that much soil. Rocks and stones are the best choice as they will slowly release minerals into the mix. I used to think that those foam packing peanuts were the worst choice, but by golly, it seems I am never too old to be surprised. Yes, straw will get nasty moldy in there. It will also get nasty moldy just sitting out in the open. But because of moisture, not cold, that's what straw does, it gets moldy. In a short growing season like yours, I would fill the beds immediately, that means now, with potting soil, topsoil, compost, and perlite so that you can hit the ground running next spring. If the beds are only a foot to 18 inches high, that's all you should fill them with. If they're taller, you can add a layer of stones or rocks on the bottom. And again, use the straw for mulching the beds on top, but never ever mix nitrogen suckers like straw, wood, or leaves into a bed or it will be useless for years.
Well, that sure was some seemingly authoritative advice about straw bales now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read it over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to straw my bail if I don't get out of this studio. What does that mean? Oh, means we're out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse. Teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. And please, please, please include your location. That's not I'm in the kitchen or outside, it's I'm in Boise or something like that. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to so many of your garden questions you won't believe it. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Rogers and Hart. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director used to be Amanda McGrath. She is now known as Amanda Norfleet. Either way, check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Harassed and harried director, that's Javier Diaz. Carlin Canfield is running the camera. Zach the Takwisneski, he never runs in the house. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, is not our executive producer, but he is running late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm never late. It's the clocks that are fast. And I'll see you again next week. Hey, boy, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Tropical milkweed. 
Is it a threat to monarchs or a double-purpose monarch friend? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll take a close look at which plants help these bodacious butterflies best. Plus your fabulous phone calls.